Hi, and welcome to Faculty Focus, a podcast supporting the clinical education community in Leicester. We bring you Educator CPD, showcase new initiatives, and shine a light on some of the faculty behind it all. Today, I'm joined by my colleagues to discuss the emergence of AI in medical education and how we can begin to use some of the tools available in our teaching. There are certainly some big time benefits for our educators. However, there are pitfalls and caveats worth knowing about. As ever, a good understanding of learning theory will help guard against inappropriate use. It's certainly a fascinating topic and one which we will return to in the future to see how AI in medical education plays out. We hope to spark your interest and maybe tempt you to experiment with some of the tools out there. Please see the show notes for links to some of them. My colleagues are Hussain, who you'll know from previous podcasts, Max Brayshaw-Williams, who is our resident learning technologist within the Department of Education, and Cash Makam, a consultant here in Leicester, and also the final FRCA teaching lead for the region. How's everyone doing? Good, thanks. Yeah, just getting settled back into work after a bit of time off. It's always the struggle, isn't it? So, Where'd you get to? Uh, so just been up to Devon in Appledore. Appledore in Devon, sorry, makes more sense. Uh, this was a week and a half ago now. I'm still not settled into work. But yeah, and then it's just been busy weekend, busy weekend, busy weekend. So yeah, no, no time for breaks. <laughs> Summer holidays, isn't it? Not much for holiday. How about no, you, Hussein? Have you been up to much? Uh, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, I'm just lamenting the lack of uh, summer. <laughs> we're, it's just, we've just been drowned out. In the your window, of... windowless lab. <laughs> this this one has a window, but um, yeah, no, there's a heat wave gripping Europe. But I've not seen the sun in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I just got back from uh, a week on the Isle of Wight, which was very nice, but very tiring with two kids. So uh, I come back to work for a bit of a break. <laughs> sad, <laughs> sad uh, state of affairs. <laughs> I, I feel sorry for you, but I think, you know, it was your choice to have children. So, <laughs> yeah. was it you're, then? You're yeah. free to make mistakes in your life. <laughs> oh, I can really sympathize. Right. Well, uh, thank you for joining me today. We've also got Cash Mackham, who is um, running a bit late, so he might join us a little bit later. So uh, today's podcast is really going to be looking at artificial intelligence in medical education. It'd be very hard not to uh, have come across the stories of ChatGPT that was released tail end of last year now, November time, 2022. And I think that's probably when AI sort of burst onto the scene and everyone started to take notice of it because it was a publicly available version for people to play around with and have some fun with. Um, and actually, it's been updated since then, which I didn't realise until this morning. Uh, so there's a newer version of ChatGPT that's uh, that's just been launched. I think you still I think you have to pay for it. But anyway, I think since then there's been a regular trickle of AI stories in the media, and of course all the different tools um, using AI out there, not just language models, but you know videos and photos and and all sorts. So it's very much still in its infancy. I think in everyone's consciousness, it's still quite a new thing. That said, you know there's already courses that are out there that can tell you how to use it and pay to go on courses and people tell you about how to use AI in business or, or in teaching. So I thought it was one of those things that's probably uh, good to look at, certainly from the perspective of medical education. And I think what's probably happening is people are playing around and using AI as educators and um, just trying to see whether there's a, a, a place for it. 
So what we're going to do is really just talk about it. Disclaimer to any listeners, none of us are particular experts in AI. We're all just on this kind of journey of exploration and trying to figure out what works. So yeah, we're not going to give you any sort of categoricals, um, cast iron guarantees on how you should use it. But I think it's worth just talking about some of the challenges, some of the pitfalls, uh, potential benefits, uh, and also what's out there that might be useful to start playing with. I just thought I'd clarify that uh, the podcast is really going to be about AI that educators can use to help teach or you know, assist in learning rather than AI use in clinical medicine, because I think AI obviously can be used in lots of different contexts. But this is really a case of using AI, uh, how educators might start to use AI in, in enhancing their offering as, as educators. So what I thought it'd be interesting to start with is see where everyone's up to in their AI journey and how much they've explored, experimented. Um, what have you come across? What have you, what have you found that it can do for you? Uh, where should we go? Should we start with uh, Max and then Cash and Hussein? So I kind of touched base with AI in kind of several different formats, I think, so far. Again, kind of capping like a really wide net and doing really kind of preliminary tests, nothing kind of too deep, um, just to kind of see what we can get out of it. So we've, we've messed around with kind of image stuff like that. So generate imagery. And for anyone that's tried that, it's it's not that accurate at the moment. Um, it can be really hit and miss. We've had fantastic results one day and then absolutely atrocious results the next. Um, we've also done stuff with like video editing because um, part of my role is, is creating content and videos and educational videos and stuff like that. Again, kind of hit and miss, create some really good videos some days, but it always seems to be that same sort of formula. So it seems to be pulling from almost the same kind of crop every time. And we get a similar sort of thing, just a different voiceover. But again, early days for some of this and then yeah so stuff like um audio so map ai uh, generating audio based on scripts and stuff like that so kind of uh, text to speech but a bit more realistic yeah and yeah you chat gbt so just kind of putting prompts and stuff in there to get some information back whether that's how to plan a lesson um some step-by-step -step guides creating scripts as well in conjunction with stuff like map ai and things like that for, for whatever content people need yeah, it's kind of my my experience so far. So you've covered it really from a, really in a professional capacity in your role at, in the Department of Education. That's where you've mostly been using it then. Yeah, pretty much um, with kind of, yeah, how quickly it's expanded in kind of the last half a year almost, especially when it goes to public domain, like, and everyone gets their hands on it. It kind of rapidly changes when it happens. And uh, yeah, it's just making sure we're, we're on that bandwagon, so we're not going to start lagging behind. So it's kind of good to know like how all these things are working and where they're going. Because at the end of the day, they, they are a thing now. It's it's not something that's going to go away. So it's how can we leverage that to make our, our everyday easier, maybe reduce some of the mundane tasks we have and kind of free ourselves of some more of those human activities, I think. Thanks, Max. Uh, Cash, have you been using uh, AI or how have you, have you found it? So, yeah, so it's sort of similar lines to what Max has said. Um, so I use it mostly in, in my role as organizing exam teaching for the region for aesthetics in the East Midlands. And I found it quite useful in terms of it takes a lot of the, the tediousness out of it. So, for example, writing practice exam questions. So what I've previously done is grab a BJ education article, for example, chuck that into BARD and say, give me format of questioning and it will spit out 
a question. Um, and, you know, it's not perfect by any means of imagination, but it's probably taken 90% of the work out of it for me. Spend another 10 minutes and probably cut down my workload by 75% just in that one particular task, for example. And then it's also really good in terms of like a creative way of if I'm struggling to explain something to someone, uh, you know, again, I can just put that concept into either ChatGPT or Bard. Those are two I tend to use the most often and say, dumb this down for me or explain it like a five-year-old is a quite a good prompt. And you, you tend to get a, a reasonable a way back of uh, explaining it in a way that you probably might not have thought before. So that's sort of, sort of the main use that I've uh, come across in my use of it so yeah. far. That sounds brilliant, actually, to save that much time to cut those sort of tasks down. That's a, that's a phenomenal improvement in efficiency. You know, it's just the first draft, isn't it? And you can then tweak it. That sounds really interesting. Hussain, have you, uh, have you experimented very much? Limited. Uh, beyond typing in stupid questions and seeing what it comes up. Histology is, is a really interesting medium to kind of plug into AI because you've got that continuous source and, and just plugging in pictures can can really help develop an algorithm, particularly if it's annotated. So I think it's it's got scope there, but perhaps similar to some of the themes that have come up and that we'll talk about, it's it's very hit and miss. It's it's good at identifying some things and not others. It's an adjunct, pretty sort of simple adjunct at the minute, but it quickly comes a cropper, I think, in, in, in my use. I think the first time I heard about it and created my OpenAI account, ChatGPT, I, uh, I decided to write a story. Um, and I got it to write a story for my kids, a bedtime story, using their names, uh, you know, knights and dragons and all the rest of it. And it just churned out a, I don't know, 400-word short story. And they loved it. And it has all those, like, uh, it probably had about three false endings, but it sort of turned out like, like the moral of the story sort of stuff at the end where it sort of, you know, and, and everyone got on very well. And so they realized that it was really important to accept others for who they are and all this kind of stuff. So <laughs> I'm quite impressed. And then I used it to write a um, complaint letter. And I'm pretty sure I got an AI generated response to my AI complaint letter. So. <laughs> So maybe that's a potential insight into the world we're going to be living in. But but no, I haven't really used it in a medical context um, for sort of formal teaching as yet. It's just playing around with it. But I have seen from playing with some of the stuff that's out there that there is real scope there to create, uh, make video creation and instructional videos much quicker and easier. Uh, and I think that's something that Max has been working on in the department. So maybe um, what we'll probably put a lot of links into the show notes for the podcast so that people can then go off and explore, uh, explore some of these tools. But maybe, um, well, we can talk about some of the strengths and pitfalls of maybe when we go through some of those tools. So Max, do you want to sort of pick one out that you think is particularly useful that you've used? Just tell us a little bit more about it and maybe some of the difficulties too. So I think one of the biggest ones I've used at the moment is uh, Beyond Go for video production or Murph AI for voice. I'll probably go down the Murph AI route because I think voice one's always uh, an interesting one to look at. So yeah, Murph AI is fantastic what it does. It's really, really good. We've used it for some voiceovers for some instructional videos, videos involving kind of how certain things work in the department. Um, and it's really handy because it, at a time we were recording audio for someone. So if someone was coming in, they were doing the voiceover, talking through it. 
But this, the moment a procedure changes, that person needs to then be brought back in, re-record. And with the nature, again, I'm still finding my feet within the NHS, with the nature of that there's rotations, people leave within three months, six months, a year. So we'd have these videos recorded and then they wouldn't be with us anymore. And they'd be like, we need to get someone new in to come and re-record everything. So having something like Murph AI and even the inbuilt stuff into beyond for voice generation has been really, 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 really good for us just to save us a fair bit of time, other people's time as well, because I, I very much understand you all are, are busy. So going, oh, can you free up an hour to come in and, and record record for me, please? Is it is a big ask sort of thing. So I've been able to kind of shift that that weight away and kind of deal with that. Our, our side of the woods is, is yeah. always a bonus now. People get... I think when you ask people to record something, record their own voice, people get a bit um, like creeped out by the sound of their own voice, don't they? Like it's a bit, it's a bit weird when you listen back to yourself. So people sort of shy away from that. Yeah, you always sound different on recording than you do in your own head, and I think that always throws people. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what I'm dreading listening back to this after it's finished. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think it's a really valid point, though. People moving on so quickly. I was working with a, one of the anaesthetic trainees to create a, an instructional video. She didn't want to have her voice on it. So I said, okay, well, if you write the script, well, I'll record it. And then like you say, you have to, you want to change it. The next time you record it, if the environment isn't exactly the same, you can tell that there's a change in the recording quality. And yeah, it's really difficult to get that consistency, isn't it? So yeah, you don't have any of those problems with, with something like Murph AI. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it takes a lot of kind of almost the environmental impact out of it sort of thing. So everything that's happening around you. Uh, is, is no longer an issue. It's always echoes in a room or people walking past the door and things like that. As I'm sure you've experienced in recording the podcasts. It's, and yeah. it's, pretty, it's pretty good quality from what, compared to, I mean, there were some videos the department made a few years ago around diabetes care, but it's it's definitely moved on since then in, in my view. Yeah. Yeah. Especially some of the, like, if you get the premium accounts and stuff like that, some more of their premium voices, you can, there's always the, a tinge of roboticness, always. And, I don't know how how quickly that'll go away, because um, I think there's a lot to the the actual human voice that kind of makes you human, um, and I don't think a machine can quite imitate that just yet. Outside of you know just recording it, and I think that's some of the downfalls of Murph. So there are certain words that it just cannot pronounce, um, regardless of how you go through it and change. I've been through kind of spelling words in completely abstract ways to try and get it to say what I want it to say. And also when it's coupled up, so like certain sentence structures or if a word follows another word, sometimes it's struggled to differentiate as it goes through. So you always have a creative sort of way of trying to kind of break words up or spell them in in certain ways. So so the AI will read it in a specific way as well. So, I mean, it's been fun. It's obviously, it's always nice to learn new things and how they work and tinker and things like that. It's one of those, it's it's a small thing to try and fit with the, the benefits far outweigh the cons. Because it's easy enough to restructure a script or change a word than it is to get someone to record for half an hour. So and it falls back to that kind of, it's so much quicker to do. Yeah. Um, what would have been an hour recording, three hours writing a script, um, you can push the script out of chat GPT, uh, tweak that within an hour, and then have the that, have that as audio within 10, 15 minutes. So yeah, it definitely speeds up the process of, uh, of producing content. It's so interesting. I think that kind of captures the the pros and cons of AI in general. Like the massive pro being the you've mentioned it a couple of times, reducing the tedium and the the schlep of having to go through stuff. But then the product is, as you said, it's a slightly robotic voice. And to what extent does that limit engagement? The ones that I've 
I've heard, as you said, you kind of immediately know that it's not human and how much of the human voice is, is in the little intonations and the little cadence and rhythm and tone. And what impact does, would that have on someone trying to learn from a video? Are they going to be focusing on the content or are they going to think, oh, this is a robot? It's so interesting. And I, and I think that, that's reflected in, in lots of the other things that we talk about. And I think that's something that's probably worth exploring. Maybe we'll look at creating a video of the human voice and the AI equivalent and then see see what responses we get from people. Because um, it, it is quite nerving listening to a, a robot tell you about stuff sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it with the pathology videos, I think. And, and yeah, there's, there's something about a robot voice whilst an organ is being sliced up that is slightly disconcerting. But, but it's the but future. I mean, um... Have you, have you tried Eleven Labs to recreate a human voice then? Not yet. I think there's something yeah. scared me about uploading my own voice yeah. into something and having it recreate my voice is, is terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that's what's put me off as well. But some <laughs> of the results I've seen, are, like you said, they're quite scary. I just saw a video the other day from MKBHD. Um, and actually, Apple have, you know, are, are going to allow you to do that on your iPhone. So... I think it was like a 30 phrases that you have to say. And then after that, your iPhone will then be able to say anything that you type into the iPhone in your own voice. We, we could do this podcast in a year's time and I'll, um, I won't invite any of you. I'll just give you scripts. <laughs> <laughs> you can just have a yeah, self-sustaining podcast forever. GPT to write the script and then, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, I think, Kasha, you were saying that um, you know, the majority of your AI use has really been um, the kind of language models, I guess. You know, I think you said the benefits, it really does cut down any time. Um, any sort of key things that educators will probably should be aware of? Um, so I think the main thing is, it's the, um, yeah, as we were chatting earlier, you said, you know, garbage in, garbage out. And that's, I probably wouldn't classify as garbage, but when the output that you get from these uh, large language models, the data set that they're using has not been fine-tuned to the usage that we're talking about today. So essentially, you do have to know the base material that you're using and be able to pick up on this is clearly wrong and you know whether it's a small thing like the PKA value or something like that. So I would highly caution against using it when you're talking about a topic that you're not an expert in, but for topics that you are, Speeds up your the workflow by a factor of two to three in, in my personal use. And the other thing is these models are constantly changing week by week to month to month, depending on what OpenAI or what Google or Microsoft decide to do in terms of their censorship or what output they allow with their models. So, you know, something you, you might have got a good answer out of ChatGPT couple of months ago, you put that exact same question in today and it might be completely different. Uh, you know, there was, I think there was a study done by Stanford that looked at the output from ChatGPT and they've noticed that some of the questions that they were feeding it three months ago, it was about 95% accurate. It has dropped down to about 20% because of the censorship of ChatGPT. So I think these are, you know, it's a brave new world, but I think these things are constantly evolving so much that you can't take it for granted that the output that you've got before is going to be the same level of quality that it 
you know, yeah. further down the line, basically. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. So the same question, get different answers in different time periods. So yeah, yeah I've never yeah. thought of that. I um, think there's been cases as well where like ChatGPT is actually generating content to kind of meet your needs rather than finding actual content as well. It's actually just making yeah. it up. Um, yeah, I think that's so, the problem yeah. with all the language, large language models. They, you know, I think the IT guys say the word hallucinate and they do hallucinate. They do, they, they don't say, I don't know. They just, um, you know, without going too much into how they work, they, they will just, you know, pick a best guess essentially is what the, how, how they're trained. Yeah. You, you do have to be worrying about what they hallucinate and, Especially in the, in the medical field, you know that has more of a consequence than others. Okay, well, um, Hussainium, you sort of went into the literature a little bit and found it a fairly good article, sort of talking about some of the pitfalls or actually sort of wider issues around that. Is there any sort of key points you wanted to pull out of that? I think it's the, it's the breadth really, and and we've we've touched on quite a lot of it already. AI just has seemingly unlimited potential and it's it's how do you harness that in a way that's meaningful you know for example from broad overarching umbrella concepts of curriculum development you know we, we could use ai to just do a needs assessment and see what what is it out there that we're not fulfilling in a curriculum what what needs to be touched on teaching methodologies that like we've talked about the pragmatic how do you use these functions in, in a in a meaningful way and, and the challenges associated with that a big thing i think is assessment and evaluation so for example we in medical education we don't do so much of the essays and feedback but for example application to medical school um, i think quite a lot of the established literature is showing that sentiment analysis on personal statements and applications is is cutting out a lot of resources and providing feedback over a long period of time, so so identifying specific learning needs of of students at, at any stage is, is a particular advantage. But then there's all kinds of disadvantages. We've touched on the lack of consistency. So asking the same thing multiple times, you'll get different answers. There's algorithmic bias. So the fact that although it's a huge pool of resources that it's based upon, the ability of AI to synthesize and create knowledge based upon a, a finite pool is limited and that's a pretty human skill and then there's the ethics which again we've touched on you know it's that it's the same as that you know black mirror episode i don't want my voice voice to be used on a voiceover let alone someone else somewhere else in the world using it um, there's copyright issues so you know if you're generating things based upon something else legally that's a pretty muddy area and and equity equity of access so again you know we're talking about it in a a resource rich environment where you know we all have access to these things at the touch of a button but is this is the use of ai going to drive the inequities and in medical education that's that's particularly important Actually, I think from the other direction as well, sometimes we dismiss things because actually we are in a resource rich area. Actually, you know, this algorithm doesn't suit me uh, because I've got X, Y, Z resources to, to do it. But perhaps in resource poor countries, then these AI algorithms could be hugely more beneficial than, than we perceive them to be here. The other important thing, I think, with any technological advancement is how to approach it. And 
that's nothing new. So we can, I'm sure, put a link to to this framework in the in the show notes. But there's, there's established approaches to the incorporation of technology into education. So the PICRAT model is is a pretty well validated one. So the teachers' interaction with with the technology is it being used to replace something? to amplify something or to transform something, uh, an educational event. And then the, the student's relationship to the technology, are they just passively interacting with it? Are they, are they just passively consuming it? Are they interacting with it in some way or are they using it themselves to create knowledge? Um, so I think falling back on, on theory, it's always a good thing rather than just letting it run away with you. And, you know, this is cynically, Anytime something novel comes along, you know, the literature explodes because it's new. Um, and then you kind of get a false sense of, oh, wow, this is, this must be something massive. Um, when in fact, yeah. it's sort of the, the tail that wags the dog. I think you, you hit it on the head there. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised in the next few years, all the medical education conferences, well, probably all conferences, I would have thought, will have a decent chunk of AI literature or presentations up there. I mean, we're going to one in August to the uh, European AME conference. And I suspect a lot of the workshops, a lot of the seminars will be, this is what we've done. This is how we've experimented using it. And it's a great place to pick up some ideas. But like you say, is it, is it a tool looking for a problem? You know, I think it's really important, just like with any new tech or new approach, is, is it grounded in good theory when it comes to you know, effective learning? I had, a, I had a bit of a play with one of them that created some slides earlier on. I just used an anesthetic CPD article and it created visuals to go with the text. Um, and it's actually really, it was really entertaining just to see the mismatch. And that dissonance, it's so extreme, you could probably appreciate it. But if as an educator, you don't appreciate that, you can really be interfering with any learning material you're hoping to put out there in that it's so, it's so in conflict that it actually becomes a distraction in itself. So yeah, having an awareness of the theory behind it's vital, I would have thought. We're sort of coming towards the end. Max, sorry, did you want to? I was going to say, like, just along that line of probably turning content into different formats, obviously knowing knowing your source data and stuff like that and going through and checking it's really important, but also kind of, it can open up your, like, accessibility. So some, obviously, different students have different ways they learn. So we're now to use AI to kind of turn, like, a paper into different forms of accessible content from a PowerPoint to an audio book to a video. And take some of that kind of again to so that work doing it yourself would take weeks and if you can generate something like that over a few days with checking stuff like that again like you said there's issues but going forward it might be a really good way to turn one bit of media into multiple formats to make it more accessible for people as well i think it's like it's just still very early days and compared to the start of the year to what we have now there's so much that's changed there's so many you know literally every week there's someone coming out with a new ai tool and it's worth people having an awareness and even just experimenting. I would highly recommend people just to experiment, but you know, you do need to know what you're on about when you're using these things. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good take home point. Don't use it to teach something you don't already know about. And if you're trying to learn about a new subject, it's probably not the place to start. You know, if you want to, like you say, write questions based on some article or some text, um, that's quite useful. Summarizing texts, though, again, that, that could be potentially fraught maybe first drafts of things like a pbl um, or a scenario or a simulation that might be something that educators could find useful so for me those are the kind of things that maybe at the moment we could be using that for it's obviously a, a huge area and it's going to change very rapidly any sort of take-home points from max the same 
I think yeah, if you're going to use it, use it as kind of your foundation and build upon top of it. Don't it's not like a oh it's done cool AI's made this for me. It's use it as your foundation, go through it, tweak it, make it work for you. My take home message is that it seems it's replaced your parental responsibilities. <laughs> Story writing, yeah, <laughs> you're right. Compared to Andy, I, I did the same thing with my son. I put his name in. I was like, oh. He loves the Junior Donaldson book, so I said, oh, yeah, this is my son's name. Write a short story in the format of a Junior Donaldson book. And, you know, he, yeah, he also really liked it. I don't know if there's a copyright issue that I've submitted to. Well, on that note, uh, we'll, we'll bring it to an end. Well, we ran out of time and got cut off our Zoom call there, but we hope you found the episode interesting and perhaps we've tempted you to explore some of the AI tools out there. Lots of links in the show notes to start you off, so do please take a look. Thanks from Max, Hussein, Cash and myself for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Faculty Focus podcast. If you like the episode, please share with friends and colleagues. You can also like and subscribe to the show, and perhaps even leave us a review. Clinical education can be tough, but we are stronger as a community, so if you have an idea for an episode or would like to come and talk to us, do get in touch via email or Twitter. Details in the show notes. The Faculty Focus Podcast. Community Development Showcase.